Guys, tonight I, I, feel, I feel something stirring in my spirit. That's not abnormal, but I, I do feel something I've never preached before. And I couldn't come to YWAM Kona to the mothership, to headquarters, HQ, and bring like a cookie cutter word. I had the fear of the Lord. I'm scared. I didn't know if Lauren was going to be over there. I didn't know. I didn't want him looking at me and going, man, get this guy out of here, you know? So I really went to the Lord and I really feel like I have a word for us tonight because I'm stirred for the next generation. I'm stirred for our generation. It's not the next, it's our generation right now. So I'll give you a little bit about me. My name's Nick Brent. I'm one of the senior leaders at Circa Riders. I lead along the most incredible group of leaders. Some of you here tonight, my wife, Emily, my mom, Christy Brent, Lindy and Chase Kofer, so many others. I see Kiana over there, Unji somewhere in here. So many leaders in Circuit Riders. And it has been a pretty wild year. My dad passed away almost nine months ago. Uh, many of you may know him, Brian Brent. He's an incredible man of God. And normally it has been a season of grief. There has been difficulty in this season. I'm not going to lie about that. But the center of it, though, there has been this tremendous grace. And this is why and why I have this spirit of celebration in me tonight. This is why there's been such grace. There's been why there's such joy is every single one of the words that the Lord had given to my dad, every single one of the promises that he would see in this next generation, he either saw the beginning of the fulfillment or the full-on fulfillment of those words, and I get the privilege of walking in them. See, God is doing something right now in our generation. And sometimes what happens is we get so focused on what God is doing in our life and how he's building our calling and how he's building our individual path that we kind of look at like almost like a career that we can lose sight of the much bigger story that we're all a little part in. And it's actually the bigger story that actually gives us confidence to do our little part in that story. And when we understand that, oh my word, I'm not leading my life, but God is leading my life through me. In a much larger redemptive story, we begin to get courage in our spirit. I got my courage here at YWAM. My family moved to Kona. We left our church. My dad was a pastor. We got absolutely wrecked. My dad met Lauren Cunningham at a bathroom, outside of a bathroom at University of Washington. He was speaking at a Korean conference. So shout out every Korean conference that's ever happened in Kona. And my dad, we had read all the Lauren Cunningham books. We had read all the YWAM missionaries. And my dad, I remember the night, he said, we're going to drive up to University of Washington and we're going to find a way to talk to Lauren. And so Lauren got up to finish speaking and kind of walked out the back into the bathroom. And we went in the bathroom and pretended that we were, you know, washing our hands or whatever and happened to walk out at the same time as him. And my dad stops him and we get into a conversation that would change the trajectory of our life. And so we ended up giving up the church. I was a senior in high school, and we moved to Kona, Hawaii. We lived up in the Hualai apartments up there. And when I came to YWAM, it was the first time for so many things in my life. I remember sitting in the back of Fire and Fragrance, and I had never heard anybody talk that direct about Jesus besides my dad. I was sitting in the back, and it was like crazy purity, holiness, revival. It was my love language. Then I walked over to another DTS, Community Transformation. And I was sitting in the back of there going, these are the wildest people I have ever met. This has been the tribe I've been looking for my entire life. I can't believe it. I remember Amy Ward was the kind of the first. I believed in like the prophetic. And I believed in deliverance and healing, but that's it. Until I met Amy Ward. 
I remember sitting in the back of a ministry night, kind of grumpy and judging. I know none of us have ever done that before. And Amy's in the front ministering, and any time that someone moved in an odd way, fell over, started gyrating or shaking, I just said, that's a demon. That's, they need deliverance. And I, you know, I don't know how Amy does it, but she knew I was grumpy, and she gave me one of these, she looks at me, she makes eye contact with me in the back of the room, and she does this to me. I don't know how many of you have gotten this from Amy. Something has got to happen to your life that's about to change the trajectory. I remember walking to the front with her, and she goes, you're going to minister with me tonight. And I walked from person to person as she prayed for them. And she would turn to me and say, do you know what's happening to this person right now? And I'm like, no, I don't know. I remember in particular, a girl was blinking like a thousand miles an hour. And I'm like, man, this girl needs some deliverance. She goes, do you know what's happening? I have no idea. And she goes, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I was like, who is this lady? What is happening? She's knocking everybody out. Everyone's shaking. She's breaking every box. Amy Ward, though, straightened me out. I made it in the end. I remember Andy Bird was the first person I'd ever met that had gone to unreached people groups. I had read it in crazy missionary books that I loved reading as a high school because I was pursuing missions. I was pursuing revival. But here's one in real life. I remember graduating my senior year, and I go, you know what? I want to do a DTS so bad. That was the number one goal, to do Johnny Gillespie's Community Transformation DTS. I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. He dressed cool. He looked cool. He was smooth. And I was like, I'm going to do this guy's DTS, because I want to be like this guy. And then God had a different plan for me. How many know that God doesn't give you the future? He just tells you right before. Like, barely enough time to swerve. And he said, Nick, you're going to go to college. It's going to be unconventional. My mom gives me a prophetic word that I wasn't going to pay for my college because I had prayed. I said, God, I don't know if I want to go to college because I don't want to go into debt. I want to be a missionary. And so I was like, Lord, I don't know about this. I had get a, a dream specifically of a specific college I'm supposed to go to. Even the specific roommates. I had two roommates and one was Catholic in my dream. All of a sudden, a few weeks before my college deadline, I was going to school at Makualani. My mom drives up on the campus and a woman I had met one time heard about me in prayer and called my mom and said, I want to pay for your son to go to college. Unbelievable. I get to my college. I have two roommates and one is Catholic. I'm sitting in my Christian university, going to all my classes. I'm taking my Bible classes. I'm doing my homework. It's amazing. But there's this cry in my heart because I've already been ruined for the ordinary. You can't just be around YWAM and not crave that later. I mean, you know, discipleship groups and they're amazing, but it's more like you read a story and you go, you know, what are you getting from it? And it's like, you know, I'm getting from it that God is cool. And you're like, this is torment. Where is somebody wild that just wants to just get on their knees and start crying out for revival? I want to get back to YWAM. So I kept staying there. I would do crazy things. I was passionate for revival. I wanted my whole campus. I would go out in the middle of the night at one in the morning to our amphitheater and preach evangelistic messages to no one on repentance. I would preach messages on the love of God. I would pace. I literally paced around my pastor's, the campus pastor's office praying that they would have the boldness to call all my friends to repentance in the chapels. And if not, that he would remove them. I mean, I was just crazy. I was just crazy after revival. I wanted to see my generation saved. I wanted to be an evangelist. And at the end of the year, I suddenly got interrupted with another dream. And God said, Nick, it's time to be a missionary. It's time to be an evangelist. 
And I was like, Lord, I've already done all this college. I have a scholarship. And all of a sudden, boom, ring to my mind. Why am I right there in the Ohana court? Stopped me leaving one of the gatherings. It was Jim Ord. And he said, remember, your college experience is going to be unconventional. Remember, God is going to disrupt it. And in that moment, I go, I think I know what I need to do. I need to leave my college. I mean, I was on the board the next year to, to run the discipleship for a several thousand person university. Every position was lined up for me. Everything was paid for. My ministry career was going. Influence was building. And God said, no, I don't want you to serve the old. I want you to pioneer the new. And so I remember I left college. I remember calling the scholarship lady. Can you imagine? She'd give me $25,000. And I call her. I go, so uh, I know this is going to be a little awkward, but God told me I'm supposed to leave college and to be a missionary to reach my generation. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to pull out. I'm going to do school online at another university, and I'm going back to YWAM Kona. I remember standing here at the Go Center when I made the call, and she said, Nick, I've been praying for you. And the Lord told me you were going to call me. And when you called me, you were going to tell me something that I would not make sense to me, but that it was God, and I'm supposed to keep helping you. She became my first missionary supporter. She paid for the rest of my college, and she gave me enough to live. Ramen and a roof over my head. That's it right there. No Banyan Tree Cafe, just ramen, cup of noodle, somewhere to sleep. And I remember coming back. I get a job at Starbucks. I'm working the drive through there, saving money. And that happens to be the summer of the first circuit rider school. And every time I was on my shift, I'd drive back over, sit in this Ohana court, and revival was breaking out in here. And it started with this emphasis on the nation, but God began to encounter this whole school that God wasn't just going to keep moving in the nations, but that he was turning our hearts towards our own nation for a new sending movement and a movement of evangelism that would touch an entire generation. And I remember as they began to preach on, they kept preaching on the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. Do we believe the Bible or do we believe culture? Do we believe the Bible or do we believe culture? Do we believe the Bible? And I'm like, I believe the Bible. This is me. This is what I want to do. And I remember my whole family so moved by the experience. We decided to go on permanent outreach. We moved to the outreach location. We went on outreach to Huntington Beach, California. And we packed our bags and said, we don't know when we're coming back. We've never come back. For the last 10 years, we've lived in California, and we've been laboring along all, all, alongside of all of you for a movement of evangelism that would touch our entire generation, and a new mobilization movement that would touch the ends of the earth. Can I tell you, it's because Jesus is worthy of our generation. It's not because I need a purpose or a mission, it's because Jesus is worthy of my obedience and my sacrifice. And I remember praying this crazy prayer right before I left. I was standing outside of my Starbucks job, and I told the Lord, I do not want to be normal. Lord, don't let me live a normal life. And I said this specific prayer. I said, God, give me the job that nobody else wants to do to see the most possible impact. That's the job I want. And you ever prayed a prayer and like God like locks it in? You can feel it. Like you sing and I'll go anywhere, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. And then you kind of just get all stoked. You're like, God, I'll be a missionary everywhere. And for some reason, you knew God heard that prayer and your life is over and he's going to send you wherever he wants. And there's no getting out of it. It was a contract signing moment for me. 
Now, our summers were really fun. They were awesome. We had these training schools, circle riders schools, and we'd go and train evangelism. But the rest of our year was boring because we had no schools. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't have any influence in California. We were all living in a house together, crammed in there. It was like 16 of us living in this small little house. I was doing school online and going, Lord, I've left all of this. And you said I'm going to be an evangelist for my generation. I got four weeks of some mission work in the summer, a few outreaches and training there. But what do I do the rest of the nine months of the year? I thought you said a mobilization move. I thought you said a move of evangelism. I'm just sitting in my house with nothing to do. And I remember we were living at the time with a crazy guy who used to sell copiers. He was a copy machine salesman his whole life. And he looked at us and he said, guys, when you don't have any leads, you go find leads. We're going to start getting in our cars and going where young people are. And so we started getting in our cars in California and driving to universities. We didn't even know what we were doing. We didn't know what to talk to anybody. We didn't know what to say. We just walk up to people and be like, hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Oh, you don't love Jesus. All right. Do you want to know Jesus? Okay. All right. Amazing. Or we did meet a Christian. It was like, I was just hoping they invite me to their group and I would preach and revival would break out. We had no idea what we were doing. I don't know if you ever come to a moment where you get so tired of just mediocre. Have you ever that moment? You're just so sick of just trying your hardest but seeing no result. I remember being in my garage talking to my dad. I just said, Dad, I've left school. We've moved to California. I'm broke. I keep eating ramen. I could have had so much influence at my college. I say like one thing for 30 minutes at each circuit rider school every year. So I do a total of like 75 minutes of public ministry a year. Andy and dad preach and hog the mic. What do I do? Just kidding. <laughs> it's because I was a horrible preacher. So <laughs> I was like, man, what do I do? And I remember my dad looking at me. He goes, Nick, nothing is stopping you but your fear. And it was like time froze and every excuse fell off of my eyes and I go, I know what I'm supposed to do and God had spoke to me that we we're supposed to do an outreach at USC, University of Southern California. We go there through a divine series of events. We get connected to a girl who literally was just standing in the middle of her campus because God told her a certain date and time to stand in the middle of her campus to wait and see what God would do. And I end up talking to her and we end up becoming friends and we do this music festival on the campus to preach the gospel called Launch Fest. About 1,000 kids came out and 150 kids got saved. We were broke. We had no experience. God did so many miracles. Things went so bad that night. It was so disorganized. The music, we messed up so many times. I mean, it, it sounds epic, but I was like losing my salvation with how bad it was going, stressed out over on the side while it was happening. But the testimony of what happened, the breakthrough, was Playboy's number two party at school that year. And so the testimony started going, there was a breakthrough on a college campus for evangelism, and all these students start inviting us to come and do evangelism at their school. And first started with a few, and then a few more, and then all of a sudden, we started doing things all across California. So our paths first crossed with Francis Chan. He spoke at one of our conferences through, like, begging a friend to beg him to come, and everyone came to hear him, not for our stuff, but sorry. <laughs> and... It was this amazing experience, this amazing breakthrough, and we kept doing outreaches when all of a sudden we had an unusual night at UC Davis in Northern California, and God birthed this movement called Carry to Love. And suddenly, all this momentum started happening, and since then, we've been doing tours, evangelistic tours all across America, 
We've seen over 100,000 university students and young people gather to be activated to preach the gospel. That's what God's done the last seven, eight years. God wrecked my life for the normal and has done absolutely insane things with our simple obedience. Then the Lord birthed this movement called Brave Love. Where are the ladies at tonight? I was at the very first one. It was Joy Dawson, Shannon Castile, my mom, Christy Brent, Amy Ward, Holly Bird. It was the scariest meeting I have ever been at my life. Somehow I got roped into being the camera guy. I have no media skills. And I was just, I didn't move for eight hours as Joy Dawson taught that night. And if I moved, she would say something. So I just stood there like this, videotaping her deal with us on the fear of the Lord. Since then, Brave Love, this movement of women has spread all across the world with what you guys are doing here and what we're doing in Huntington Beach. And then this assignment, the send, came down on our lap. Mom had grabbed Lou Engle's prophetic journal, prayed over it. It's always a bad thing when my mom starts praying about something. It means more dangerous work is about to head my way. And she starts praying and seeking the Lord, and she hears this line, the call has gone out, and now it's time to send. We go visit Lou with Andy and Lindy and the crew and my dad. And I remember a few years later, after giving him this word, Lou was ready to do it. We were in a lobby in Cleveland, Ohio, and we were looking at each other going, we commit to mobilize a generation together. Now the send has gone everywhere. And the last thing that's happened is black voices. How many know that God is raising up not just one ethnos, but every ethnos to preach the gospel. That's every nation to every nation. That there's a unique sound in every culture that if we miss one, we miss the fullness of what God has for us. And our black staff in Huntington Beach started getting a burden for the black community because they're so underrepresented in international missions and started making a sound for missions in their community. And since then, a movement of activation has begun to touch the generation. So for the last 10 years, I've been knee deep, neck deep in reaching the next generation. That's all I do. Reach, disciple, talk to, live with. I live with 26 people. I never have time alone. Me and Emily hide. How many of you hide on the base? You just want a moment of introversion. Please don't have, you, you, you can see those eyes in your friend. You're like, they want prayer. Run, move, move quickly. Move quickly to the car. <laughs> so true. And if you don't know, you will know. And I think when Andy talked, asked me to talk about reaching the next generation because of some of the things that we've gotten to experience, and as I began to think about it and talk about it, I just had this thing hit my spirit that so many times we talk about the next generation, we immediately get into complexity. Here's all the things that you got to change to be effective to reach the next generation. You know, you, you know, TikTok is so big now. Now it's overtaking YouTube. So you got to become an influencer and you got to understand media and you got to understand slang and you got to know this and you got to know that. But the truth is this, is that culture changes so quick. What's here today is gone tomorrow. My brother he is in a band called Writers with my other brother and they have this like discord of like all Gen Z. And they introduced me into the Gen Z discord. And immediately upon arriving on the Discord, the first question they asked, looking at my picture, they said, are you a millennial? And I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I was born as a millennial. And they said, we forgive you. It's not your fault. 
right? There's so many complexities. The humor, my brother's humor and Gen Z, like it's the exact opposite of what's happening. I've told jokes and they make distorted noises. And you're just like, what was the point? That was the point. It's irony. Don't you get it? And I was like, I don't, dude, over my head. Right? It's like almost if you're going to reach the next generation, you got to like blend in and become the next generation. But if you try to act too much like the next generation, they don't like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't get to say that. Don't use that word. You ruined it, man. Now we got to invent a new word so you don't say that word. Thanks, leader. And, and it's, it's not even, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's just getting shorter and shorter. It kind of started with the millennials, like we're swagged out. We're the millennials. We, we have co-working spaces. We're innovative. We wear skinny jeans. We have purpose. Go purpose. But then as time has gone, things have gotten more and more tribal and more. It's like you're this Gen Z, but then this is a different Gen Z. And then this is a different thing. I want to tell you this is that we're never going to adapt fast enough in order to scripture teach us that that's the key to reaching the next generation. There's something totally different that the scriptures point us to when we're reaching the next generation. And it's a direct approach that's worked for 2000 years. It's not change. It's not complicated. It's not different. It's the same. And what's different right now is that there's all these stats about Gen Z. Can I, let me just read you a couple of these stats. Do you mind? Who wants a stat? Who wants to just kind of brag that you know something to your friend later? I love stats. I always love busting out a stat in a meeting. Just like, hey, did you know this? No, you didn't. All right, let me. That's right. I'm a genius. All right. Let's look at a couple of stats here. Gen Z, you were born from 1997 to 2012. Okay, if you are 10 to 25 years old, can you raise your hand? You are Gen Z. You are amazing. If you were born from 1981 to 1996, you're the ages 26 to 41, can you raise your hand? You are a millennial. If you're older than that, you're a sage. You're Gandalf. We appreciate you. Keep guiding us. <laughs> Gen Z is made up of 69 million young men and women. They're the largest generation ever in American history. Gen Z is the most diverse generation in American history. In fact, in the next 10 years, Amer uh, white Americans will no longer be the majority of the young population. Isn't that amazing? They're the most statistically ambitious, success-oriented in American history. They're the most connected, yet disconnected. But here's the alarming part. They're the most irreligious generation in history. Only 9% of, of, of the generation is considered to be an engaged Christian. So here's the markers of an engaged Christian. Number one, they believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and contains truth about the world. Number two, they've made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today. They engage in the church in more ways than just attending a service. And they believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. Pretty key one. When you begin to ask the, gener the Generation Z like, questions about the Bible and Christian worldview, only 4% of the entire generation has a biblical worldview. Now, I think these stats are amazing, but in truth, we don't really need the stats. We feel the stats. Like, it's, it's, it's not like the culture war is, like, hidden in a closet. 
Not like the culture war is happening in the background. Not like the culture war is just happening on Facebook anymore. It's everywhere we walk and everywhere we talk, we feel the pressure of secularism. It's in our face. I feel it all the time. You know how many times I'm tempted to edit what I'm saying? Do you ever do this? You read what you're going to post online like three times. And you're just like going through the offense filter like three times. Like how many people do I want to offend? So you're like, okay, I'm going to edit this audience out. I don't want to offend them. And then, oh man, they're sensitive about that. And you know, there's a new movement about sensitivity to this. And there's a new, right? How many of you had a conversation with someone and you're really tracking in your mind or you're communicating to a group of people or you're talking to your friend and what you really want to say is, dude, your life is purposeless. It's in sin and you're never going to find any hope and say, you'll, hey, God loves you, man. He's there for you. He's in your life. He's special. He's hugging you. He's, he's daddy God and he's there, man. But that's not really what you wanted to say. What you wanted to say is, don't you know what's happening to your life? You're completely embracing sin. You grew up in the church. Jesus is waiting. You're a product. When you, want to, you need to come home, he loves you, but you're only going to find purpose in him. Right? We edit all the time. It's this pressure. It's existing all the time. And pressure changes us. Pressure makes us act weird. Have you ever gotten like so hyped in DTS? Like, I am going to save every soul. Every nation, every soul. That's my calling. They asked which nation I wanted to go to. I said, everyone. Everyone. How long are you going to be in YOM? Till I'm dead. I'm going to be in here or in that tent. I'm actually going to live in that tent in a small area in the back. But then you get off the plane and everyone speaks a different language and everyone looks different than you and the culture is different and all of a sudden you can't even remember John 3, 16. Excuse me, sir. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, we're good, we're good. All right, love you, man. Or maybe not, I don't know. You, know, you just start becoming weird. It's happening all the time. I was the scaredest evangelist when I started. I had to build up so intensely just to get words out that made sense. The first guy I shared the gospel with, I followed him for two miles. It's a high school student in my high school, and I just saw him, and God highlighted him. I knew it was time to share the gospel. I'd watched too many Reinhard Bonnke movies, and I just remember following him until he sat in a coffee shop, and I was at the door, and I looked at him, and he made eye contact. And I looked at him, and there was a long, like if it was a romance movie, perfect start of the romance. Great, silent tension, looking me in the eyes. Then all of a sudden, I just go, hey, God loves you, and ran out of the coffee shop back to my house, right? Pressure changes us, right? You're the most joyful person back home, but you walk into a new, a new environment, and you're the most introverted, freaked out. It's because when you're in a new environment, and there's new pressures, there's new experiences, the temptation is to fall into intimidation, and intimidation and pressure change us. And they damper the message that we're carrying. And what the generation needs is an unashamed generation with so much boldness that brings an equal and greater force to the challenge that secularism is bringing to our generation. See, on every college campus, there's a gospel being preached. They preach them in every fraternity. And they preach them strong. We're partying tonight, man! Come on, have a drink with us. We're going to rage. It's going to be crazy. The world has no problem recruiting. The world has no problem evangelizing. The world has no problem talking about all the things they believe and why you should believe it and even getting frustrated if you don't believe. 
And the only hope for our generation is not that we become more nuanced. It's actually that we get more bold with what we believe. It's that we actually get more courage in the face of pressure and intimidation to say what Jesus has said in the scriptures. Let's look at Numbers 13. You're going to turn there if you have a Bible or your phone Bible, or I'll just read it to you. It's a story of the Israelites, and they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses is about to head out the spies. Many of you know this story, but I want to look at it from a different angle. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Remember that, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were the heads of the people of Israel. Verse 25, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron to, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. So they see the opportunity. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel, a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Skipping ahead to Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that, we had, uh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, the normal reading of this text is we talk about the difference between responding in faith versus responding in unbelief. But there's this curious question to me. Because these 10 men that went with Joshua and Caleb, they were the chiefs among their tribes. Israel is over a million people. That's what experts believe exited the promised land. Over a million Israelites exited the promised land. This is a massive nation. So these are not like normal. Sometimes we make Bible characters out to be dorks. These are not dorks. These are leaders of their tribe. They're managing tens of thousands of people. Some commentators believe that these men were chosen because they had military experience. They had military prowess. I mean, can you imagine? You've got to be a pretty boss leader if Moses says, you're the guy to go scout out the promise that God has given us. Right? If Moses is recruiting you onto his team, he's got to think you're a pretty special individual. That you've shown some serious leadership. And yet these leaders come back from the promised land and are absolutely afraid and want to go back to where they were enslaved. What happened to them? Pressure. Pressure and challenge reveal the essence of your leadership and how you look at your future. 
all of us have a promise. We have a corporate promise that Jesus is giving us. You have an individual promise that God has given you. There is a mandate and a promise over YWAM. But sometimes we think that a promise equals an easy walk into the victory. Like it's magic. That Lord says, you're an evangelist to your generation. Amen. Waiting for Sun to call to give you the microphone in a major crusade is not going to happen like that. There is going to be challenge on the way to you becoming that evangelist. See, God giving you a promise doesn't mean he does it all for you. It just means that he guarantees you victory as you cooperate with him in obedience. Think about it. Joshua and Caleb are having to go to real battle to really seize the promise over their life. They didn't just get to walk in and take, like, hey, no worries, here's the land. No, they fought the rest of their lives to gain the promise. There will always be challenges. When intimidation shows up, it reveals what we're looking because if we're a carnal leader, we can use spiritual language, but we, can, we really look at what we can do. And so whenever we're in an environment where we no longer feel confidence in our own skills, all of a sudden we begin paralyzed. We forget who we are. We forget the promises of God in our life. We forget who God is, and we stop taking risks. We stop moving forward, and we want to start moving backwards. But if you're a godly leader like Joshua and Caleb... They knew that it was never about them. It was about what God was already going to do. And so when the challenge comes, they're looking at God saying, God, you got it. See, the lie of intimidation is this. The lie of intimidation is that somehow you do not have everything you need in Christ to be effective in ministry, to be effective in your relationship with God, to be close with him. Right now, every single one of you, you have everything you need in Jesus Christ to be effective, to seize the promise of God over your life, to seize the promises of God over YWAM, and to participate in the macro promises of God over his people on the earth. Everything you need. And here's the crazy part, is there's no difference between that generation and the next generation. So there's nothing that's changed. The military hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten easier. The fortified cities are still there. The giants are still there. And isn't it amazing that intimidation gave way to unbelief and robbed an entire generation of a promise they should have had and was there to take and would have had success if they moved into it. But their intimidation, their unbelief forfeited the promise and gave it to another generation. See, there's, there's an opportunity that you and I have to see a harvest in this generation. But we cannot give in to the lie of intimidation. We have everything we need to see a harvest, to see a mobilization of souls like you cannot believe. Can we keep going for a moment? Are you following me? Can you give me an amen? amen. Come on, give me an amen. amen. That'll do. All right, let's keep rumbling. I want to talk about four specific ways. But I believe that intimidation wants to change the essence of who you are and wants you to move in the opposite spirit that we need to be moving if we're going to seize the opportunity of reaching the generation. Number one, intimidation always brings complexity. Intimidation always brings complexity, meaning that you feel like you have to know everything to be effective. 
That you need to understand every moving piece of culture and be able to dissect it. You need to understand atheism and naturalism and postmodernism and queer theory and gender query and critical race theory and Frederick Nietzsche and how it's all rooted in the Enlightenment and then this and then that and this. And then you bring a little special Bible verse and a super special anointing and then all of a sudden God is going to move. Can I tell you, this is not the way that God moves. I'm all for cultural apologetics, but I saw a different method in the New Testament, it was the bold, unashamed proclamation of who Jesus is in a different religious society with a completely different culture, and they were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, intimidation always wants to make things complex, but Jesus always wants to make things simple. As soon as we begin to make our future complex, and how am I going to do this, and what's the key, and I need to five-point plan, a 20-year plan, and this school, and this school, and then I'll be ready. It's a lie. You have everything you need in Jesus right now to preach the gospel in, in effect. I just got back from Burundi, Africa a few months ago, and we did a crusade, but what we did was we only partnered with young people for the crusade. It was the first time we'd ever done something like that where it wasn't older leaders preaching from the stage and doing the training, and we trained a few hundred local Burundians young people, and man, they were so passionate. They were on fire for God. And we would get in cars and we would drive out to the slums and we would just literally preach on the streets. And we would just, I remember standing up and I just start preaching and this crowd starts forming because no one has a job. It's like Bible times, everyone just walks over. And I start preaching boldly about Jesus Christ, repentance, being born again and surrendering your life to Jesus. And I give an altar call in the middle of the streets and everybody walks forward and fills out a decision card like we're at a Billy Graham crusade. I remember standing with one of the young guys who was only maybe 15 years old and he walks up to a whole group of Muslims standing at the corner store and he begins to preach the gospel at them just boldly like he's in a stadium. And one of the men begin to heckle him like, Get away from here. I, what are you doing? And make fun of him. He literally responds back and preaches the gospel through the heckling. He would not leave for 25 minutes until one of them gave their life to Jesus. He labored and he labored and he labored. He didn't give into intimidation. He said, I have a simple message. It's carrying power. It will have effect. One of our gals, she got lost. She got lost in the, the zone. And she ended up praying for a blind person and he got healed. So word spread all around the village. They started bringing blind and deaf people. And she's like an administrator on our team. So it's not one of our main preachers, it's like an administrative person. So just think about someone who's super good at organizing everything. And she starts preaching the gospel with her translator in the States. And a hundred people give their life to Jesus in the matter of a few hours because she got lost and ran into a blind person and believed the gospel. We're on a university campus, I believe, on the East Coast. And a young woman, we didn't know this, came to the gathering of friends and said, you need to come this gathering, you need to hear the message of the gospel, a carry to love event. And she's in the back. And she goes, man, this isn't for me. And privately, we did not know this, but she said, I'm going to try this out. And if it's not for me, I'm going to take my own life tonight. She leaves the gathering. She's walking down the hall. She walks down the stairs. One of our circle rider girls sees her and says, I think Jesus has a message for that person. She runs down the hallway, down the stairs, stops her, shares the gospel with her. The woman begins to cry because as she was walking down the stairs, she said, God, if you're real, send somebody to tell me that you're real. 
See, it wasn't a fancy message. It was the obedience of a young person with the simple gospel that turned her entire life around. I walked out of our Monday night gathering the other night. And there was a guy in his car and he was shaking violently. It looked like maybe he was coming off of drugs or had a medical issue. And I walked to my car and I was like, man, this isn't right. So I walk over and go, hey, man, are you okay? And we start getting a dialogue and I pray for him. And I walk into my car and God says, what are you doing? Go back and ask that man if he wants to get saved. See, I'd fall in the complexity of the situation. I don't know how to deal with this. What am I supposed to do? And I walk back to the car and I say, hey, man, this is crazy. Are you just tired of living the way you're living? And you're ready to give your life fully to Jesus? All of a sudden, he busts out of the car and gets out of the car and walks over to me and goes, I want to give my life to Jesus right now. See, when I was being nuanced in love, it was a great moment. But when I stepped into the boldness of the gospel, the man got out of his car and said, I want to be saved. I am telling you, if you would give yourself to resist complexity, if you would insist that the gospel has power, you will see more fruit than you can believe. Because God is looking for someone who would believe him that he's going to do everything he said he's going to do. Number two, intimidation will make you stay wherever you are. In fact, for the Israelites, they wanted to revert back to an old life because they'd rather have control and safety and, and be enslaved because it's predictable. There can never be a moment where we graduate from going. There can never be a moment where we graduate from the missional heart that God has given every single one of us. There can never be a moment where we just wait for young people to come to him. You know, we're going to wait. They're going to come to DTS. We're going to share the gospel with them, and then we're going to go out. No, 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 no. The DTS is amazing. The training is amazing. But the number one thing you are right now, if you're in YWAM, is you are a missionary. And you are on mission every single day as long as you are a missionary here. And then when you leave this organization, if you leave this organization, you will still be called to live as a missionary. See, a generation is not all going to come and rush into YWAM Kona. They're not going to rush into circuit riders. They're not even going to rush into the send. They're sitting on their high school. They're sitting on their college. They're sitting in their community house. They're sitting in their fraternity and their sorority. There's your friends on Instagram. They're your friends on TikTok. And no one, they're never going to experience the gospel unless you decide to give them the gospel experience. And we try to focus on making everything cooler and more attractional. But you know what? I love the LED screen. I love the fog machine, but I've been to a Coldplay concert and they do a lot better. <laughs> if attraction is the goal, we're never going to beat the world. But if the missional heart of God is that we leave our comfort and we walk into, our into the risk of their environment with the same boldness that we would have in our environment, that's where we're going to begin to see fruit. Can I keep going? Just two quick more. Number three, we have to continue to give ourselves to building relationship with the next generation. I remember for me, I so wanted to be so important. I wanted to be a guy. I wanted to graduate to more and more older staff and kind of get into a cooler zone and run things. And then I'd be awesome and I'd do more things on the stage. And then I'd kind of be a part of all the meetings. But can I tell you what I learned? There's no fulfillment in it unless you want to be a servant. 
There's no fulfillment in it unless you want to be a servant. See, Gen Z does not respond to like positional authority. I tell people, I'm like, I'm the leader. I'm one of the leaders at Cirque Riders. They go, who cares? What's a Cirque Rider? That's a weird name. Who are you? I don't like your shirt. I literally had someone comment on my preaching video. I hate your shirt. All right, they're, not, they're not afraid to speak their mind. I go into environments. I spend the first 20 minutes with those young people proving that I'm normal. That I know something about life. And then I start getting to the gospel in the end. They're like, man, I was judging you hardcore. I love how honest Gen Z is. They walk up to you like, hey, man, I was judging you for like 20 minutes. But then you gave these like three points about Jesus. And that like really touched me, man. You're cool, bro. I like you. Right? There's never going to be a moment where you get to be the evangelist and then go have impact everywhere. And everyone's going to respect you. You get to go to the green room. If you want to reach the next generation, dude, pick up your rag, get relational and get in people's life. So there can't be a moment where we come so insulated that the only people we know is other YWAMers and we don't know any lost people anymore. There can't be this moment where the only time is like we have this kind of like two weeks a year, we're like in the, with the lost and the rest, we're just with Christians all the time. There has to be that missional element we're always building relationship. Here's the last thing. Intimidation will want you to make exceptions and to be an exception. Remember my dad looked at me one time he said, Nick, you can be really old by the age of 25. And I had no idea what he was saying. He's like, I'm going to be really old by the age of 20, 25. What, what in the world do you mean, Dad? He said, you can graduate from doing the basics. You can graduate from following Jesus in the way that you're supposed to follow Jesus. You can stop being an evangelist. You can stop being a missionary. And you can more manage the missionaries. You can more manage the evangelism. You can more oversee it all coming together. And he goes, Nick, the day you lose being a missionary first is the day you're going to lose influence for the next generation. I remember walking into a friend's office. He was a pastor at the time. And I walked in and he was playing a kid's game on his iPad. I was like, what is this guy doing playing a kid's game? He's a college pastor. I'm like, what are you doing, man? And he started going on this huge rant about how the next generation needs to listen to him. And they just need to respect him because he's an elder and he's like a man of God and he went to seminary and he's got the wisdom. And I was just sitting there going, I think the next generation does want to listen to the older generation. I think they just want to listen to people they want to be. We cannot call people to being something that we are not ourselves. We cannot become experts in the messages and experts in the song and not lead from our inner life. Lead from our inner life. You have to be the evangelist to call the evangelist. You have to be a missionary to lead other missionaries. You have to be free to lead others into freedom. And this is the essence of YWAM. This is what we all do. There is no one better equipped, in my opinion, right now to have impact in the next generation than you. Because this generation is starving for a raw expression of Christianity. When I say, like literally, if I say like hopeful stuff back at my Monday nights, everyone's like. As soon as I rebuke the audience, like you need to be pure, man. Live right with God, man. They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what is happening See, we think a generation wants a light message, but they want the real message. They have so many light messages swirling around them and tickling their ears and getting them excited and giving them temporary inspiration at night. 
but then the fuel runs out. They're looking for the real thing. You have the real thing. They want more than just an attending a service. They want more than just learning about God. They want to see somebody who's on fire for God. Who, when you look in their eyes, they go, you know God, and I want to know that God. When they look at your life, we had a guy, a brother, visit one of the guys who was my house. And my friend led a drug dealer to the Lord who dropped his drugs in the CVS on the way home. And he came back, and the brother said, that was the single most important conversation I've ever seen in my life. This is the real deal. He quit his job. He quit everything. He's coming to be a missionary. Compromise one day, sees the real thing, is on fire for Jesus the next day. See, I think the enemy wants to intimidate all of us with all the culture wars going on, but we got to pay the, cri- the price to be a controversial with a loud minority. But preach the gospel to a silent majority who is dying to know the truth of the gospel. For those of you going on outreach, preach. Preach. Don't just serve. Preach. Preach the gospel. If you are staff, don't worry about all the things happening in the news. Don't worry about politics. Don't worry about the latest trends. Don't worry about social media. Don't worry about nuance. Teach your students to preach the gospel. And you teach them by doing it and making them do it. We should be seeing record numbers of people coming to Jesus. I'm going to end with this. Two stats that I love. I'm sure Andy Bird has told you them, but I'll tell you again. The majority of Christian Gen Z is having faith conversations with non-Christians. 78% of Christian teens say they've had at least one faith conversation with a non-Christian in the past year. Even so, another stat, when given a chance to imagine themselves serving in specific missionary roles, half of engaged Christians, 18 to 34, say that yes, they could see themselves being a missionary. Is it that there is a promise of a ripe harvest of a generation before every single one of us? Are we sitting before a generation who's literally begging a missionary to knock on their door and say, you're supposed to be one too? Is a generation looking for a bold proclamation from every single one of us that they can say, I can do that. I can see impact. Because I'll tell you, I tried complexity for years. I tried all the nuance. I tried being fancy. I tried special little moves to get people saved. I tried soft messages. But can I tell you, all that impact dissipated so quickly. It was an inspiring night with no transformation. And I remember God said, quit telling funny jokes. Quit telling stories and just teach the word and preach the gospel. And I did it for six months. And I saw more impact in just saying the simple gospel with nothing fancy and no personality and no charisma that I'd ever seen in any other portion of my ministry. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Can we all stand together? The band can come up. Tonight, I was gonna say my message title. I always forget. I'm not really much of a titler for messages. Whoever was asking for the title, I'm sorry. I never sent one. But this was the title of my message. Why I believe Jesus and YWAM is the hope for this generation. That was my message. See, don't be deceived that you don't have a bigger part in the story to play. Don't be deceived 
that you only have a little bit of impact ahead. Every single one of you are called to carry the anointed message of the gospel to see a generation saved. This is prophetic. There's some of you in here, you are gonna see thousands of people come to know Jesus, but it hinges on your boldness. It hinges on your participation with the gospel message. I see a picture. Some of you are going to multiply missionaries all over the earth that have a missional heart and are going to plant churches and see generations of disciples made. It's going to happen if you believe the gospel is the message. There's a picture I just see of some of you staff. It's like your back is like a little bit out of alignment. And you're walking with a little bit of a limp, like, I hope I'm effective. You need to get the, I hope I'm effective, and go, I am effective if I'm living in the gospel message. You need to get your confidence back. I feel like, uh, I see like some of you have like a fear almost of like when students are going to come in the future. Are you going to have what it takes to lead them into transformation? You will have what it takes to live them in transformation if you fully give yourself to living the gospel message. Some of you are going to see so much more healing when you say the full gospel. When you add those extra four sentences on repentance, on sin, on eternity, watch Jesus show up in power. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just open your hands. Holy Spirit, this is our prayer. Holy Spirit, we're asking you, Jesus. Lord, we're asking you, Lord. The decades, Lord, of salvation and impact, Lord, that YWAM has seen globally. I'm asking, Lord, that you would anoint this generation in this time to see an acceleration of fulfillment. God, I ask that you would bring a baptism of boldness, a baptism of simplicity, a baptism of missional fervor, a baptism, Lord, not to be an exception, Lord, but to live the example that we're calling others to. Tonight, if there's just like a fresh commitment, you're like, I need to get my evangelism back. I, I, I've been clouded. I've been confused. I got to get back on the gospel message. I got to get back in the faith in what Jesus does. I've lost some faith. I've started to get complex. I started sitting in the back. I just want you to raise your hand wherever you are right now. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Every single person that's raising their hand in the name of Jesus, impart fresh conviction from the Holy Spirit. We ask all dullness be ripped away. We ask all dullness be ripped away off of my heart, off of their heart. Lord, fill us with evangelistic fire. Fill us with evangelistic fire. I was with someone the other day, and when he started talking about someone getting saved, he started crying. God, we need that fire. We need that fire. Lord, let that fire of evangelism never leave our heart. That tenderness to the gospel never leave our heart. For a moment, here's what I want to do. I want to blow off the roof of this place and crying out for fresh evangelistic fire. I realize we're all from different cultures, backgrounds, denominations. But one thing that has to unite us is a fervor for the gospel, an intensity for the gospel, a guardianship over the gospel. So the count of three, here's what I want you to close your eyes and I want you to cry out to God to touch your heart with a fresh baptism of gospel fire.
that would affect your prayer life, that would affect your time in the Word, that would affect your time in missions. And I want you to lift your voice. I don't want you just to pray a little prayer. I want you to cry out for God. This is the hope to reach the next generation. Is the fire of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. Are you ready? One, two, three. Lift your voice. Jesus, we ask. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice right now, wherever you are. Jesus, we ask right now for your evangelistic fire to touch our hearts. Pause, 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 pause. I'm going to treat you like I treat the circuit riders. I need every mouth open. This is something that every, if you are a YWAMer, we participate in this one thing. I need every mouth open. We're going to pray again. No whisper prayers out loud, unified, just given tonight to a moment of unity around the fire of the gospel. Are you ready for this? Ready? One, two, three. Lift your voice right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for your fire to preach the gospel. Oh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to baptize us in boldness. Pray this with me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, I want to hear you. In Jesus' name. We break all intimidation, all complexity, all fear. Get out of my life. Jesus, I believe you. I believe your gospel. Just put your hand on your mouth. Just say, Jesus, anoint my mouth to preach the gospel and to see more fruit, more souls saved in this next season than any other point in my life. I ask that I would walk into the greatest season of harvest for my family, my friends, my hometown, the nations of the earth. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We believe it. We believe it, Jesus. God, I just pray a blessing over every single person in this place. But as YWAM circuit riders to YWAM Kona, God, we pray that together, Lord, we would see an evangelistic movement, Lord, that would sweep America. God, we ask that in 10 years, the world would be full of so many young people that are sitting in colleges right now, but we'll be sitting in the Middle East and in Africa and in Asia because of the obedience of this community. We ask for people who are destined for hell right now, destined for hell right now, to receive an eternity in heaven because of the obedience of this room. Lord, the bad report of a, of a generation, Lord, led to the promise being stolen from an entire generation. We ask that the good report of faith from this community would impact the entire nation and lead us to the fulfillment of every promise. Thank you, Jesus.
this is so specific. I'm going to worship. But there's one evangelist here. I don't know who, who you are. You already preached the gospel. I just ask right now, Lord, I pray your power would come upon them wherever they are. God, it's a time to birth them into crusade ministry in the name of Jesus. We ask right now that your power would touch them in the name of Jesus. God, we ask for a baptism of boldness that, Lord, thousands of salvations would start coming, Lord, every year, every year, every year. Lord, we ask for a breakthrough evangelism over this person and from this community. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to hand it to you, Johnny. Nick, thank you for bringing the word of the Lord to us tonight. Just before we go into worship, there's just one other thing that's that's burning in me for us. I think um, there's only really one way to respond to this word. We've prayed the prayers. We, we believe the word of the Lord, the deposit of the Holy Spirit for boldness tonight. But now it's time to actually respond to God. And I just want to ask all of us to bow our heads right now and ask the Lord for the person we're meant to share the gospel with tonight, like in the next 24 hours. Like maybe there's someone at home you got to call. Maybe it's someone you got to reach out to over Instagram. Maybe it's somebody that you know here in town or someone that you've been ministering to or someone that you, you had like the nice moment with but haven't just shared the gospel. I want to ask the Lord to speak to us right now because it's time for us to respond. I really believe that God is depositing something fresh in our community again for evangelism. You're in DTS, it's for your outreach, but it's it's not just for your outreach, it's for right now. And you're in leadership track, you're thinking about the fall, you're thinking about leading a bunch of students, but it's not just for then, it's for right now. You're on staff, you know, I'm so convicted, Nick, I'm so convicted in my heart. I was trying to think of the last time that I've just had a gospel moment with someone like that. It's been weeks. God is moving my heart. I have to respond now. I have to respond now. So Lord, we want to ask you that you would speak to us right now. Put the person on our heart that we can respond today, tonight, to, to share your gospel, to share your love. We don't want to delay. We want to respond immediately to your word with joyful obedience to you tonight. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. God, I want to ask you that you would put your words in our mouth, that we would fearlessly make known the mystery of your gospel. In Jesus' name. So I'm asking you tonight, God has put someone on your heart. Now's the time to respond. Don't delay. Let's take action. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit's call and let's obey Him. And let's respond in worship right now and saying yes to Jesus all over again. Olivia, lead us.